3: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'd be one of my friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and put it all in context. Call me 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Look, does it matter that the President of the United States doesn't seem to care one bit about the stock market? On a day where the S&P 500 hit a new record, up 0.42%, while the Dow advanced 57 points and the Nasdaq jumped 1.03%, I think it's worth considering how the Biden market differs from the Trump market. A year and a half ago, Wall Street was in heaven. We had incredibly low unemployment with no inflation. We had terrific earnings, too. Until the pandemic hit, we bungled the response, and then the market got shelled. Throughout that period, though, one thing never changed. We had a president who graded himself based on the performance of the averages. When the Dow surged after the March bottom last year, shortest bear market in history, by the way, well, Trump cheered at every milestone on Twitter and in his little interchanges with reporters. To him, it meant he was doing really well. He even picked Larry Kudlow, my former Kudlow and Kramer co-anchor, as his chief economic advisor, which tells you a lot about him. Speaking as someone who served as a judge on The Apprentice for several years, I got some insight here. While Trump never followed individual stocks that closely, he knew the market mattered, and he delighted in asking me questions about what to buy. I always told him to buy Verizon. Hard to get hurt on that one. As for Trump's chief economic advisor, I worked with Larry Kudlow for three and a half years. Larry never met a tax cut he didn't like. When we were on Cuddle and Kramer together, I pushed night after night for a dividend tax cut, something that would encourage people to own stocks. Bye, bye, bye! Larry pushed for a capital gains tax cut because, he, well, he's hardcore. Uh, he, he's a hardcore believer in Reaganomics, worked in the Reagan administration. Ultimately, President Bush passed both of these tax cuts. Although, given how the Bush economy ended up, uh, I'm a little ambivalent about taking credit. The point is, under Trump, we had a president and a chief economic advisor who were enthralled with the stock market. They wanted it to almost, they wanted it to go higher to almost an obsessive degree. All right, now how about the new administration? I don't think President Biden pays much attention to the market at all. Now, I've known him for years. I'd often see him on the train going south when he hopped on at Wilmington going to the Capitol. Biden is one of the most convivial souls I've ever met. One time, back when he was a senator, he saw me walk by him and stop me to talk about the stock market. First, he introduced me to the conductor because he was right there. He just asked the conductor to play a game of golf with him. Then Biden got right down to it. He said that he found my obsession compelling. But sadly, he couldn't take advantage of it, in part because he didn't have the money to be in the stock market. I told him, look, I understand that that was difficult, plus there were potential conflicts as a senator. But there was never too late to buy an index fund. He said he'd take my advice, but from the the disclosure forms, he knew he was the poorest person in the Senate. Number 100, the bottom. I remember saying that's too bad. Biden seemed to care at all. So let's see. The last president was obsessed with the stock market. The new one could care less. The last one bragged about how rich he was. The new one brags about being the poorest guy in the Senate. The last one reveled in being a real estate mogul. The new one proudly points out that he's a union man. Those are some big differences. Yet it hasn't mattered one bit. And yet we go over it constantly. How is it possible that it means nothing? All right, well, let's pull this apart, or unpack, as they say, and then double-click it. They they say this stupid stuff on all the conference calls I listen to. If we unpack this thing, here's what we get. I need you to come to grips with why it hasn't mattered. Well, we had an incredible rally when Trump took over. We had another incredible rally when Biden took over. Rally, rally. First, you could argue that this stuff is just branding. The presidency is important. But with Congress paralyzed by partisan rancor, there's not a lot of the White House can do in either direction. When there's divided government, it's tough to pass anything unless the crisis becomes so palpable that both parties are willing to compromise, like we saw with the bailout a year ago. We like divided government. It means nothing gets done. It's good for stocks. Right now, we keep hearing about Biden's infrastructure plan slash jobs program and the possibility that it'll raise the corporate tax to pay for it. Given how tight things are in the Senate, I think there's a really good chance we won't get a tax on Then again, the Democrats were able to pass a $2 trillion stimulus package on a party-line vote, so maybe Washington's a little less paralyzed than we imagined. Of course, if Biden can effectively double the tax rate on capital gains and dividends by classifying them as ordinary income, which is what I thought he might do, well, that's a different story. But it's not there. That would hurt the stock market. It's not even on the table. Second, no matter how pro-stock market Trump was, his endless tormenting of Fed Chief Jay Powell made a lot of business leaders nervous because the Fed's supposed to be an independent agency. The idea is pretty simple. If politicians can control monetary policy, they'll almost never raise interest rates because it's political suicide. When the president's out there tweeting, who is our biggest enemy, Fed Chairman Powell or Chinese President Xi? Let well, them make me want to buy stocks. Worse, even though Trump's the one who made Powell the chairman, he quickly started bashing him as, quote, a powerful golfer who can't score, someone who was too conservative, too hawkish on inflation. Then last year, when Powell grasped the full extent of the crisis before anyone else did, he was well ahead of the president in trying to save the economy, but there were no supportive tweets from the Oval Office. Hmm. Meanwhile, Biden says he hasn't talked to j Powell once since he's been sworn in. Doesn't plan on talking to him either, because he wants to maintain the historic separation between the presidency and the Fed. Okay, absurd in its own way, but at least a little predictable. Finally, third, Trump's erratic behavior toward business, uh, towards individual business people and his disrespect for science collided with nearly every CEO I know. That was less of a problem before the pandemic, but it became much harder to ignore once COVID hit. As for Biden, most CEOs don't want higher taxes, but they also don't want a president who berates them on Twitter. And they don't want the government to ignore climate change. I know. Look, as many executives told me after the camera stops about climate change, they say, look, I got children. I can't take his position. I got children. I can't take his position. In the end, you could make the case that this whole discussion is moot. What really matters is that we've got low interest rates and high liquidity. I come back and say, don't kid yourself. In terms of the market, I think the president is largely irrelevant, though I'll take that back if Biden can pass his $2 trillion jobs program. So what does matter? Calm. The market loves calm. It loves serenity. Wall Street wants certainty. Even when most of these guys disagree with Biden, they like that there's no surprises with this guy. The bottom line, that certainty factor and that alone is enough to make people more willing to pay up for stocks. Even when the new president's a union man who clearly favors labor over capital. And he used to point out that he's the poorest guy in the Senate. Let's go to Richard in Delaware. Richard! Richard! Hey, booyah, Jim. Hi, I'm a first-time caller from Lewis Beach, Delaware. From Lewis, oh my! Let's take the furry. Looks forward to your advice. All right, what do we got here? Uh, My question is on uh, Exxon Mobil. Given Exxon's growth since the beginning of the year and its financial
1: statement saying that its current six percent dividend, based on current prices,
4: is secure for the foreseeable future, the oil reserves, which are purchased
3: at low low prices, have have uh, potential for higher profits also when prices rise. What, is, uh, what do you think is the future of
4: Exxon's well, value? Uh, given yeah, the I got to interview
3: in the- Darren Woods, the CEO, and he had a good story to tell. I mean, things are better in the oil patch. Uh, I know people think I'm obsessed with Mike Worth and Chevron, but I do think that uh, Chevron has better growth qualities. But I like the fact that, he did, that, that Mr. Woods did say the dividend is safe. Uh, it seemed pretty solid. Let's go to Johnny in Maryland. Johnny! Booyah, Jim. Booyah.
1: Big fan here. Thank you. Uh, I'm a teenage investor looking for the long term. With uh, Coke's majority steak sale of uh, Coca-Cola beverages Africa looming, what do you think of Coke's bottle in Mexico, Coca-Cola Femsa?
3: Uh, well, look, you know, James Chris used to run Coca-Cola Femsa. And, uh, and James Quincy, I'm not kidding, he was he did an amazing job. That's why Topo Chico's here. Uh, I think you're fine in Coca-Cola Femsa. I think it's a very good company. And I think that it's in many ways better than the parent. All right. We're learning that the president's mostly irrelevant to the market. The market just wants certainty. Oh, man, tonight. Constellation Brands uh, waking up with a hangover. Despite reporting an earnings beat, I'm gonna sit down with the CEO to find out what's behind the move. Then the return of leisure has given Vegas a much needed shot in the arm. So is it time to roll the dice with a company like Wind Resorts? I'm gonna sit down with the CEO. And with vaccines on the rise, are consumers ready to say goodbye to their sweatpants and hello to their blue jeans? I'm sitting down with the CEO of Levi's to find out what he's seeing.
5: So stay with Kramer.
2: NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving.
3: This was a tough one. What do you do when a best-of-breed company hits you with clearly a disappointing forecast? Well, I think you need to give it a closer examination, which is exactly where we are due with Constellation Brands, STZ. That's beer, wine, liquor outfit best known for Corona, Modelo, and, yes, Pacifico. After putting up some terrific performance over the last 12 months, stocks up 70% since our very bullish interview with CEO Bill Newlands roughly one year ago. Constellation sold off hard today in response to what I call mixed quarter. While the sales and earnings were much better than expected, management's full-year earnings guidance was a little light. They're talking about making 9.95 to 1025 Wall Street won at 1043 That's why the stock dropped nearly 5%. That's what matters to the investors. Remember, it's the future, not the past. So, is this a temporary blip in an otherwise excellent story, or do we need to get more cautious? Let's go straight to the horse's mouth with Bill Newlands. He's the president and CEO of Constellation Brands. Get a better read in the quarter, Mr. Newlands, welcome back to Man Money. Thanks, Jim. All right, so Bill, last year you told us, "Look, this is the beginning of a big run." You had a lot of good things in the pipe. I, I listened to the call, and I felt today that you were um, a little unsure about the future, uh, even to the point where you had 1.9 billion in free cash flow. My great measurement for you, I think, and you guided for 1.4 to 1.5 free cash flow. So let's go right to it. I mean, why? Well, I, your free cash flow is your best measure, and that that is disappointing.
1: Well, I'm not sure everybody appreciated uh, how strong our year was last year and actually how strong the guidance was. If you think about the top line, Jim, we guided at seven to nine in our beer business. That's, that's consistent with our long-term algorithm. And we guided 39 to 40% in our bottom line margin. That's also consistent with our long-term algorithm. Uh, we've got a very strong business that's, that's been outperforming and is providing best-of-class margins and best-of-class growth. What we have decided to do is to invest a bit more against that business, which creates greater depreciation in the short term. We're going after the seltzer category very aggressively, which will also, compared to our core core, uh, beer margin, is slightly tighter. And therefore, it gets a slightly contracted bottom line margin compared to last year. But we are still extremely bullish about the long-term success of this business.
3: All right, good. Because, if you, look, if you have something that's worth spending the money, I know you'll do it. Because you are tight-fisted. Now, I've got to ask you, one of the things that I thought was uh, a shame, that's called a shame, was what happened with Mexicali, where you really were, you chose to invest in a country. Uh, you were going to put a billion dollars in. And then you had 800 in, and it, you said on the call, it's just not
1: going to happen. What do you do here? Well, admittedly, we were disappointed as well. But the reality of it was the government was not comfortable with that particular operation. And frankly, we're somewhat sensitive to their concerns as well, because there's, there's always the concern about availability of water. Right. You know, it's why we're looking at the southeast. They, they have encouraged us to look at the southeast of Mexico, where water is, is ample. And, and we're doing just that. But we've also done a lot of things to be a great corporate citizen there, particularly in Obergine. Uh, We actually have done infrastructure projects at Obregon that saves the local community more water than we have actually used in our facility. So while while we're all disappointed with Mexicali, we're still very bullish on Mexico and our relationship with the government uh, at both a federal and a local level is very strong. And we think this was a blip that that will quickly be put behind us. Well, maybe
3: they'll mitigate it somewhat. I mean, because you're I don't see why they don't. It wasn't really your
1: fault. I mean, initially, a lot of people wanted the plan, it put a lot of people to work. Correct. We do think there will be some mitigation over time. And we're still exploring that uh, with the government about how we can mitigate it. We've also moved some of the equipment over to some of the expansion that we haven't overgone. So we, we do think there will be some continued mitigation of the impairment. Uh, but this is where we stand at the moment. And therefore, we took the charge.
3: Well, you're straight up on that. And I, I, I really appreciate it. Now, Bill, you did mention uh, Canopy. Obviously, Canopy's a stock had a good move. They made some acquisition today. But give me your uh, your feeling with a, with a Biden presidency, with both houses being Democrat. You're feeling, uh, say, out a couple of years where we might be with cannabis, because you, it, it could be huge for you or maybe we're still going to be talking about it.
1: Well, I think you're close, a lot closer to legalization in the U.S. than we were, say, six to 12 months ago. So that's a very that's a very positive setup for Canopy. Um, you you also are getting much closer to profitability uh, with Canopy. So we're very excited that we would expect in their next fiscal year that they will be getting to profitability in their core Canadian market. Uh, so all in, we we're very excited about the future of what Canopy can bring. As you know. They have introduced beverages. They have the top three uh, beverages, uh, cannabis beverages in Canada. And they recently introduced Quattro in a CBD form here in the United States. And and that's all before we have gotten to a full legalization. Uh, as you point out, we we think two years from now, we're going to be in a very different situation than we are today. And no one is better positioned than Canopy to, uh, to capitalize on that.
3: No, that's definitely true. The last thing I would ask you is that... Uh, When I see brands like Modelo uh, very quickly capture a a top three, uh, I think, well, wait a second. What would happen if it was available readily in more states than it is? I mean, I think people don't know that unlike a Bud or unlike a Coors, you're not in a lot of markets that you dominate in other places. When do we expect nationwide that every single bar will have a tap that has the number uh, top three beer?
1: Well, we certainly hope it's sooner than later. Uh, As you know, Modelo is the number one beer in the state of California and is number one in a number of other markets around the country. But it still has a lot of development opportunities, particularly in the east and middle markets around the country. And when you consider it's been growing at double digits now for 30 years and really has unlimited upside. Uh, Plenty of growth opportunities in the Hispanic community, but we've seen greater penetration, 25% increase in penetration in non-Hispanic yeah, that consumers. that was
3: telling. the last two years. I thought that that was the best statistic in the entire conference call. Because what that tells me is bring it to the Northeast, it'll crush it. Bill Newlands, you answered a lot of things that make me feel a lot better about this stock. Bill Newlands, President and CEO of Constellation Brands. It's a really great to have you on the show again. Thanks, Jim. Guys, look, you know, I asked every tough question about that quarter, and I felt better. I think you should, too. Constellation Brands. Man, buddy's back in.
5: As a Las Vegas icon looks to take another step in reopening, should investors let the chips fall where they may or go all in? The CEO of Wynn Resorts goes one-on-one with Kramer. Next. The legend of Cayman Jack is just around the corner with blue agave nectar, real lime juice,
2: and cane sugar. Discover legendary tastes with America's number one margarita. Premium flavored malt beverage. Please drink responsibly. All registered trademarks used under license by American Vintage Beverage Company, Chicago, Illinois.
0: When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a seventy five dollar sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to Indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
3: How much higher can the great reopening stocks go? before they run out of steam. Take Wynn Resorts, the casino operator with a big presence in Las Vegas and an even larger presence in Macau. Since the end of October, Wynn stock has rallied an incredible 84%. Stock's now roughly even with where it was trading before anyone had heard of COVID-19. But if you think there's a ton of pent-up demand for in-person entertainment, like going to a casino in Vegas, then Wynn could have a lot more room to run. We know that Macau's seeing a strong bounce back right now, in part because China's aggressively stamped out the virus. And Vegas is following suit. Earlier this week, Morgan Stanley published a note arguing that Wall Street Street, quote, grossly underestimating the earnings power, end quote, of companies with Vegas exposure. This kind of recovery doesn't just happen, though. The casino companies have moved heaven and earth to reopen safely. Just today, Wynn rolls out a new vaccination and testing plan for its employees. You either get the vaccine or you get tested every week. I think they're on the right track. But don't take it from me. Let's check in with Matt Maddox, the CEO of Win Resorts, to learn more about how he's handling the great reopening. Mr. Maddox, welcome to Mad Money. Hey,
6: Jim. Thanks for having me.
3: Matt, not long after COVID happened, you you actually were the maybe the most proactive CEO I heard. You went and tried to find the best science minds. And you said, OK, tell us what to do. Go through that process because it looks like it, you were able to figure it out to the satisfaction
6: of the regulators. Yeah, sure. So um, that's exactly what we did. We went out and found some of the best and brightest in the world to think about How how can we really create a safe environment? And back at the end of April of 2020, we produced the first health and safety plan, really one of the first in the country that got copied in entertainment and and, in other industries. And as I started to continue to think about reopening, we thought, you know, we can't just have great sanitation standards. We also should be able to test everybody. So we built our own COVID testing lab. We can test 10,000 people a day, PCR-based test, very simple, pooling, one of the only ones on the West Coast. And, Jim, we also launched the first mass vaccination program in the state of Nevada on January 18th. We vaccinated 41,000 people here, 4,000 of which are our employees. Sixty percent of our employees have been vaccinated. And, uh, you know, we're just continuing to do everything we can to create a safe environment and one that we know is going to be fun because it's coming. The fun All right, is so coming. I, I know you instituted uh, you either get
3: the vaccine or you get tested once a week. What would happen if you just told everybody, you got to get the vaccine
6: or you can't work here? Uh, Yeah, we we could certainly do that. But I I think that the way to really do this is to continue to roll out the vaccine. We make it as easy as possible. You can get it at work. All lanes are open now in the state of Nevada. And if you don't want to do it, you have to come in and you have to get tested in our lab. And that actually costs $15 each time because we do it in-house. So it's a lot cheaper. So, you know, I don't think it's our job to be mandating vaccines for everybody. But what I am mandating is that we're COVID free in our staff. Excellent. So you're, you're either vaccinated or you're tested every week.
3: OK, so how about Macau? I mean, it sounds like that when you get a society that reopens, the first thing they want to do is go back to what was their favorite thing. And it looks like Macau is, again, the favorite
6: thing. Yeah, I, you know, the Macau government has been very diligent handling, uh, handling COVID. There haven't been many cases there at all. And they've also been very diligent in opening the borders, um, sort of step by step. But we are extremely confident that each week, we're going to see more and more people. We're really excited about the May golden week that's coming up. And I think the Roaring 20s, Jim, just like you've been talking about and I've been talking about, it's not just a United States thing. It's a global thing. Because only people make people happy. And that's what we've been missing for the last 14 months. And uh, our business is about getting people back together and having fun. So
3: how many people are you allowed to get back together? If you do this policy, what restrictions will go away? So when I go to win, I know I can get to the tables.
6: So, um, you know, our gaming control board put out a statement, public statement, last week, actually, that they're going to look at casino by casino and lift restrictions individually based on what they're doing. So, you know, we're trying to lead to make this the safest environment possible. Jim, I'll tell you, we had 18,000 people in our building, uh, Mm. not all at one time, but over the course of Easter Sunday. I was down here with my family having lunch. When you have uh, 10 million square feet and tables and 20 restaurants and bars and, you know, everything that we have, we can accommodate lots of people in a very safe way. And what we're seeing is we're seeing, you know, a lot of people having a good time. Uh, believe it or not, you can have fun playing blackjack with a mask on. And when you're out by the pool, uh, you know, you're enjoying yourself. You're having a drink. Um, you know, La- Las Vegas, I think our best days are ahead of us in the not-too-distant future.
3: All right, well, speaking of our best days, I'm not allowed to do what I'm what I'm about to say, but I know others can. you got a football team in Vegas. Can yes. I bet on uh, who's going to score first in the second half? In-game gaming at win.
6: Yeah, yeah, of course you can bet. Uh, Absolutely. And you know, Jim, we, um, the we're hosting the Eagles this year, 2021. So just imagine things are going to be pretty much back to normal. I think come out here, watch the Raiders play the Eagles. We built a new supper club while we were down that we haven't even opened. that I think is going to be gangbusters here in Las Vegas. We could go after that and then maybe go see Drake performing in one of our nightclubs at night. Where else can you do that in North America? I just That's found I, I just, just found what one border. weekend
3: of mine is gonna be like. <laughs> uh, uh, and I'm gonna go <laughs> on I'm going on stop up right now and I ain't thinking they're there yet. You obviously <laughs> are feeling pretty darn good about the business, I can tell. And a lot of it must mean that you feel that the country is about to boom. That it really is changing. And let me ask you, um, It can because the stock is up above, you know, it's right where it was before COVID. Is it possible that you could be comping against, say, 2019 numbers already and be up?
6: Um, You know, that's really place by place. So I'll tell you, in in our uh, Encore Boston Harbor in Boston, we're, you know, we're having record months there. Really, we we were only open since June of 19, and that's more of a regional play. Las Vegas needs airlift to get back to beating 2019. But what we're already seeing, drive-in traffic is up over 2019 this last month. Our call volumes are back to 2019 levels. Conventions, we booked five tech conventions for later this year, um, just last week. So even the conference business that people were saying, oh, is going to change forever, everyone's already realizing you have to be around other people to innovate. So I want to be sure about this.
3: You're saying it's going to be in-person. People are going to get
6: together for a tech conference. It's not going to be Zoom. That's right. It's not going to be Zoom. It's not going to be Zoom. You know why? You learn when you're around other people. On Zoom, it's great. You can do transactions, but it's hard to innovate on Zoom, in my opinion. And so people love to get together and compare, uh, you know, ideas and talk about what they're doing outside of their company. So, yeah, e- even interest in CES for next year, we're starting to get really positive feedback. Now, that's just in the last couple of weeks. Oh, that Jim, makes I think it feel as so long good. As, I agree yeah, with as you as
3: so much. Jamie Dimon said it yesterday, Matt. He said there's no innovation on Zoom. you got
6: to be there's in person. Not, yeah, we can't design new spaces on Zoom. When we're designing a new restaurant or a new club, we have to do it in a room because that takes hours in brainstorming. And it takes bad ideas and good ideas, and it's really hard to do that when you're not in person. Uh, and I, look, I think as long as vaccines are 50 times more per day than COVID cases, we're go- which is where we are right now, as you right. know, we're going to be back to normal in uh, in the fairly you know short order. Uh, you just made me um,
3: feel great. Uh, and your company is so good. And I've been look, I've been a backer for you know, I know your predecessor. Look for. I don't know, for two decades, and it's just been a magnificently well run, and you are doing a great steward of Wynn. Matt Jim. Maddox, first time, CEO of Wynn Resorts. Thank you for coming on the show.
6: Yeah, great to see you, thanks. Can you
3: imagine when we're doing things in person? Going to conferences, seeing me on the 50, at that Eagles game? Okay, maybe not the 50, maybe the 40. Wynn, I like it. Matt Mike's back here for the break.
5: Coming up, you might not look as cool as Kramer in a denim jacket, that's okay. Almost nobody does. But a little indigo might look good in your portfolio. The Levi CEO flashes the denim. Next. I keep telling you to stick with the great
3: reopening stocks because they can deliver the kind of huge earning beats that Wall Street craves. And we just saw what that looks like in practice when Levi's Strauss, the iconic apparel play, reported a blowout quarter after the close. Yes, the company posted a 10 cent earnings beat off of a 24 cent basis, higher than expected sales. But the best part was the guidance. Levi's dramatically raised its forecast for the, for the first half of the year. They're talking about 24 to 25 percent revenue growth year over year, from 18 to 20. That's a gigantic boost. And the first half earnings guidance is more than 30% higher than the analysts were looking for. While the stock is already up roughly 25% for the year, it could have a lot more gas left in the tank, especially with these dividend boosts and the excitement involved with the new products. And that's why I'm so glad to be able to have Chip Berg on the show. Chip is the president and CEO of Levi Strauss & Company. Hear more about this fabulous quarter and his company's prospects. Mr. Berg, congratulations and welcome back to Mad Money.
7: Thank you, Jim. It's great to be here and great to be talking with you again.
3: Well, Chip, I have my Mad Money jacket with me, and I'm going to start with that because when I look at what you're doing, it's almost like it's personalization. I mean, and it's by the way, uh, I I need a little personal if I'm going to pay $188 for jeans. But Chip, you've done it. You've crashed the jean sound barrier. How are you able to get someone to, I mean, and they're gorgeous, but $188, how are you able to do that?
7: But well, we've actually got one collaboration coming up next quarter, Jen, that's uh, already sold out at Saks at $950 a pair. So, um, you know, the brand is hot. It's hot around the world. And uh, consumers, you know, are going back to the brands that they love and they trust. Uh, through this pandemic, we said we were gonna emerge from the pandemic stronger. We doubled down on the brand. We doubled down on building capabilities that consumers want during the pandemic. That served us really well. We also used it as an opportunity to kind of get a little bit tighter on our cost structure. Our SG&A in the first quarter was equal to what it was way back in 2019, despite having about 200 more doors. Um, And we're gonna emerge from this pandemic, a stronger, more structurally sound, financially healthier company with a brand that is absolutely on a tear around the world. We did all of that in the first quarter, by the way, with one-third of our stores in Europe closed for the entire quarter. So we beat our own expectations and external expectations, despite you know still a number of uh, challenging headwinds from the pandemic.
3: Well, you know, Chip, what I was thinking, because your guidance was so great, when I go through uh, really much everything that you can read about Levi's, here's what I come up with. Um, Boston no doors, no doors. Target, you're only in 140 doors. I am looking at places, outlets, I mean, where you might have five stores in Boston, then you could be in a 1,000 targets. I mean, we're pretty early in this move.
7: Yeah, uh, the U.S. is still one of our, you know, it's our largest market, but still one of our biggest opportunities when it comes to a direct-to-consumer standpoint. We have only about 40 mainline doors here in the U.S. and about 200 or so outlet doors. We clearly have an opportunity, as you said. I mean, I use Boston all the time as an example. We have no mainline doors in Boston. I've now approved a couple, so we will have some in the next year or so. But but I could go down city by city where we don't have a mainline door presence, and that represents a huge opportunity, especially with the you know the commercial real estate tsunami that is happening right now. It gives us an opportunity to secure great locations at great leases and we're capitalizing on that. We've also um, launched what we call our next gen store, which is much more digitally enabled, and it allows for a seamless shopping experience between the digital world and the the physical brick and mortar uh, store. And we're able to do some of these next gen stores with as little as 2,500 square feet. So they're very, very efficient. We use artificial intelligence, machine learning to assort those stores. And they're profitable almost right out of the gate. So um, these these really do represent significant opportunities. And we've declared we're going to be DTC led going forward. It's really critical to us. Gross margin accretive, And we're successful at it. Well,
3: look, I I think you're I know you say you rely on the brand is great, but also, Chip, I mean, candidly, you're you're a good you're an amazing curator of what you have. I'm looking at a piece from Esquire about raw, salvaged jeans are supposed to hurt at first, but it just talks about, you know, what went on in the late 1800s through 1950s, the kind of, the, the different kind of looms. I mean, you're a student of your own brand, and yet you're also capable of realizing what part of your brand is going to sell. You have hoodies on the site right now. You're getting $75 for a woman fleece hoodie. It reminds me that uh, uh, of, of products like, like a Lulu or, or, uh, uh, you know, some sort of athleisure. So you've got everything that people want and your price points are very high, but people don't seem to mind paying.
7: Yeah. In fact, we're finding in our in our mainline stores that there's really no limit to the upside that we've got from a pricing standpoint. But, you know, we're number one in denim globally around the world by far. And uh, when we lead, others follow. Right now, we're leading a trend towards looser fits. We launched this. In, the, in early 2020, just as the pandemic was happening, and consumers during the pandemic were looking for something more comfortable. Well, our competitors have followed, and it is now clearly a major trend, uh, as, as is the fleece, by the way, but these looser fits for both men's and women's are our fastest growing part of the business. And I think it's gonna create a new denim cycle um, the last denim cycle was, was created with uh, the skinny jean phenomenon, and that was more than 10 years ago. So I think we could be looking at a new denim cycle led by this trend that, that we jumped all over and created, uh, now being followed by our competitors. Um, fleece is another big opportunity for us. It's what the young kids are wearing. We're very, very focused on Gen Z. Um, and uh, the first collection that we launched, it was a, a, a small collection, sold out almost immediately. And, and as you said, there's not really uh, much resistance from a no. pricing standpoint. So we're doubling down on that as we move forward as well.
3: Well, Chip, i got to tell you, this was true blowout. And it's because of, well, look, you guys really know how to mine your brand. But more important, you mine your minds. You guys are really brilliant, Chip. And when the stock was at 14 15, you didn't hesitate coming on. You knew it was going to come back. I think this one is early in the rally. Chip Berg, CEO of Levi Strauss. Chip, it's great to see you again. Thank you very much, Jim. Great to be okay. here. Guys, this one is just getting started. Chip Berg, CEO of CIO. I'll never forget. It became one. In the darkest days, and he came on the nicest days and the greatest days. That's my kind of CEO. Mad Money's back at the. Just chill out. Chill Man is in the house. Chill Man be king. The Chill Man is in the house. He's happy.
5: The lightning round is coming up when Mad Money returns.
3: It is time. It's time for the lightning round. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski, daddy. Come with the lightning round. Because we're going to start with Rick in Pennsylvania. Rick. Hello. Uh, I was wondering what you may think about uh, a stock called Inovio. I know. I know these guys. I told these guys from down the block from me. And I, I used to like, you know, I had Dr. Kim on. A lot of promises. Not a lot of deliveries, frankly. So I'm going to put it on hold. All right. Let's go to Paul. Also in Pennsylvania. Paul. Hey, Jim Booyah. Oh, uh, Chillman says love, hi. What's up? Love this show. longtime fan. Yes, um, that's perfect. Uh, great. I love your wisdom and your insight. It's great. Um, i you. got a question. Uh, I have a stock in mode, INMD. Is this uh, a good reopening play? I've been holding it a while. Or is it going to be? Well, an hour I don't think right? that, uh, I mean, I'm not sure what a good, uh, I actually looked at these guys. It's not so much a reopening play. It's just a great secular growth story. Uh, it is terrific. A little speculative, but it does have earnings. And it's got, I happen to love the medical device quality, uh, category, whether it be uh, Medtronic, whether it be Edwards Life Science, whether it be int- Intuitive Surgical, or whether it be uh, Abbott. And I think I'm going to have to look at this one as a junior one of those. Let's go to Marsha in Florida. Marsha.
6: Hi, Mr. Kramer. Marsha, how are you?
0: Oh yeah. I've been uh, following you for about a year. Okay. I've joined your Action Alert Club and want Excellent. to say thank you.
3: I hope you're all on the call insights. today. That call, I threw a lot at you in that call today. Wow. Okay. Yeah.
6: And I'm, the stock I'm interested in is Star Peak Energy Transition Corp. And I'm wondering what's happening with. Them. Well, yeah,
3: because you know we like that. We put it in the bullpen. Um, you know, look, I, I, I think I just, I just wanted to go lower. I mean, a lot of times you just want to go have a stock go lower before you pull the trigger. I know it's already lower the when we, moment when we talk to them, but I think it can go lower still. Let's go to Dan in New York. Dan. Hey, Jimmy, chill. Thank you for all you do. Oh, thank you uh, for calling. Talk- I appreciate, it, brother.
6: Uh, RPRX. It's like watching grass grow. What do right. I do with the stock?
3: You're absolutely right. It is like, you know, and I liked it so much when it came out. It's done absolutely nothing. What can I say? I mean, it's a, I love Royalty Pharma. I really do. And they own positions in a lot of good stocks. I'm not giving up on Royalty Pharma. I just won't. Let's go to Phil in North Carolina. Phil!
4: Hey, Jim. How are you doing today?
3: I am doing well. How about
4: you? I'm doing pretty good. I Just before I saw it, I want to let you know, I don't, I'm not sure if you know the impact that you have on young people. Really? Okay. I have a granddaughter that's her name is Antonia. She's 20 years old and her and her housemates over there at Bloomsburg University, stop what they're doing at 6 o'clock just to listen to you for an hour.
3: Really? Wow. It's crazy. You, 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 you tell Antonia that students. the majority of uh, a plurality of my teachers went to Bloomsburg and they were fabulous. You tell her that because it's a terrific school.
4: Well, listen, uh, Antonia has a lot of horse sense. That's all I got to say.
3: It's got horse sense. Keeps okay.
1: the picture.
4: Yes, sir. Okay. So getting back to my stock. Uh, I'm 73 years old, and I've been told that I have the portfolio of a 40-year-old. Right. Okay? Rather than a bond, I'd like to use this stock to put my money in with it's four and a 4.25% dividend. I think it's a safe stock, and I think... It's good for the long haul. The stock is rising.
3: I agree with you. I think it's precisely the kind of stock I'd love to see you in. Now, I want Antonia into something that is more aggressive, that she could have uh, money in and get you know have all the time in the world she's got to get the money back. She should take more risk. You are doing the right thing. And thank you for those kind words about younger people watching the show. That's what I detect. You just verified. I need to go right now to Peter in Massachusetts. Peter.
6: Hey, how's it going, Jim? i you a huge fan. I'm a huge fan. And thank I you. think
3: every DJ in the world needs to have your soundboard. Ah, thank you. <laughs> no problem. But anyways, I am invested into, you know, the whole EV
6: thing. Sure. And I was wondering how you feel about the company XL
7: Fleet in the hybrid forms that they offer.
3: Well, I'll tell you, what happened here was strange. Um... They, they, they came on, they told a decent story, but right after, uh, a guy does a lot of good work, Carson Black, said that this thing was not a good stock and that you should sell it, and then they proceeded to not do well. And so I have to tell you, when a short seller says things that are going to happen and then the things happen, well, it makes me say, let's stay away. And I know I feel badly because the guy came on, I thought he told a good story, but you know, it wasn't good enough. So and then the stock went down. I say stay away. Let's go to Aaron in Florida, Aaron.
1: Hey, Jim, my uh, stock is a classic reopening play, but it's just had a hard time getting out of its way. What are your thought on, thoughts on BA Boeing?
3: Okay, I, I did a COPS call today for Plus.com for my club. It's an hour and a half call, and in it, I said that one of my absolute favorite stocks remains Boeing. I think it's going to have a great year, and I think it's going to win a lot of orders, and therefore, it's a buy. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round!
5: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, Ali, Frazier, Magic, and Bird. Yankees, Red Sox. And Roku versus Caterpillar? Find out what this tete a tete means for your money.
3: Next. Everybody I know, everybody's going out to watch this King Kong versus Godzilla. The first box office hit in
6: ages.
3: Uh uh, but I'm watching a different one. I'm watching Roku
6: House of Pleasure
3: versus caterpillar
5: the house of pain
3: every market has a coloration a stock that defines it that captures its essence but some markets have two and right now we've got two that are at war with each other caterpillar the huge machinery maker and roku the tech company that makes it easy to stream video directly to your tv Right now, most commentators make it sound like this market has two faces. It's freedom versus imprisonment. The freedom market contains all the stocks that win if people can go out to the movies or dinner or get on a plane to travel again like we just heard from Wynn Resorts. And the imprisonment market is the one we're stuck riding on our Pelotons and cooking ConAgra and wiping our kitchens down with Clorox. I think that's a false dichotomy, people. The real battle is something very different. It's a nonstop brawl between secular growth companies that do fine in any environment and single growth companies that really war only when the economy's booming. And that's why I like to keep Roku and Cat front and center on my PC because they define these two groups so that on any given day they can tell you the direction of what's going to happen. If you see Roku leading the market, if it jumps up at the very beginning in the morning, that's a sign that the formerly high-flying tech stocks, House of Pleasure, are ready to make a comeback. Think Okta or CrowdStrike or Snowflake. How about Ring Central, HubSpot, Zendesk, Zscaler? How can I help you? But if Caterpillar takes off Well, then that's when you can expect big moves in the cyclicals like Honeywell, Ingersoll Rand, Union Pacific, FedEx, 3M, DuPont. Dow. Let me throw in Emerson. Maybe it seems ridiculous that you can distill the whole market down to just one or two names. But this kind of analysis works because they're so representative. Think about it. Roku is all about making it easy to stream Internet video content directly to TV. Everything from Netflix to Amazon, HBO. It also has an advertising component that's beloved by Roku's clients because it helps them reach that hard to get younger demographic. Roku was a big winner when we went the lockdown. But the company should do just fine as the economy reopens because it's the ultimate learned behavior. Nobody's going to rip out the Roku box. If anything, they'll rip out the cable box. That's why the stock sells for 13 times next year's sales. Pretty expensive, but down from about 20 times when the COVID situation seemed a lot more bleak. The key here, though, is that Roku's a secular growth story. It doesn't need a strong economy to thrive just goes like this. It does just fine when the economy stinks, forcing people to cancel their cable plans and maybe even switch over to Roku to save money. Companies should lose money this year, but it's expected to turn a profit next year. The stock sells for more than 150 times its 2023 earnings estimates, but a company like this mainly trades on sales. The biggest threat to Roku is inflation. This is the kind of junior growth stock that's all about the prospect of future earnings many years down the line. And the higher inflation goes, the less those future dollars are actually worth. Caterpillar, on the other hand, Big, boring company that, you know, is a house of pain for most of the younger people listening to me. It's a textbook cyclical growth play. CAT's expected to earn $8.24 this year, $10.66 next year, meaning it's trading at 21 times next year's earnings, not sales, actual profits. But here's the kicker. If you think Congress will pass even part of Biden's massive infrastructure bill and you think China comes back to the table while the global economy snaps back into growth mode, then I wouldn't be surprised if Caterpillar can earn maybe $15. If that's the case, stock only selling for 15 times earnings. $15. In the expansion, the cycles end up looking a lot cheaper in retrospect once they beat or crush the numbers and the earnings come in much higher than expected. That's why money managers have been all over this thing lately. They're chasing these upside surprises. They know the stock will roar on any number bumps, and the chart is a thing of beauty. Even if the Federal Reserve is forced to raise interest rates against its will, I think CAT's protected the first couple of raises because the expansion's got so much momentum. Yep, it all comes down to Roku versus Caterpillar. If you want to take the temperature of the stock market, not to mention the bond market and the housing market, at a glance, those are the ones to watch. So who wins? Right now, I'm betting on Cat. But only if we get an infrastructure bill through Congress. i like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer. See you next time.
2: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses,